sometimes I know there's songs that I know and I and mention them and because I, I grew up in church and I sang at different churches. We sing different songs and then I, hey, Phil, let's do this song. He's like, I've never heard that song before in my life. And I know Phil knows way more songs than I do. But I was reminded way, way more. But I, I don't know if there's a song that you guys have ever sung here. It, it's 245 in here. It's on First John 4, 4. It says, greater is he that is in me. Greater is he that is in me. Greater is he that, in, that is in me than he that is in the world. Let us all remember that. Greater is the one who is in us than the one who is in the world. Just those little two-line choruses remind us of Scripture, and they stay with us really, really well. Okay, kids, you may go. <laughs> well, congratulations, you did it. You made it through the holidays. Whew, yeah. Maybe it still looks like the holidays at your house, or maybe the cleaning fairy just came to your house and put all the stuff away, like happened at church. It's just gone. I don't know how it happened. It's just not here anymore, and for that, I'm grateful. We made it through. Maybe the holidays are really good for you. Maybe you love it, and maybe you love it sometimes, but not so much this year for all a variety of things. But either way, it's done. The only holiday left is my birthday that's coming up. So other than that, like all the major holidays are just downhill. But dealing with holiday stress, and maybe you've dealt with that, a good bit before, but Scarlett Busick witnessed holiday stress at her local California post office. The line was out the door. There weren't enough employees, and the employee was at the counter. Stress was running really high because that's what the holidays are all about, right? Really high stress levels for everybody. So a frustrated customer yelled at the clerk and said, how can I help you go faster? And the clerk said, go home. It's <laughs> true. How can I help you? Go home, and I will get home faster than that. Or maybe as it sets in with the holidays, maybe the holiday blues came in and set in with you some this year, and maybe it comes in for different seasons and different waves. Some people say they get depressed during the Christmas season, and that can happen for a variety of good reasons and reasons that really remind us of things. But maybe others of us get depressed after Christmas is over. Maybe you're sad the, the tree is gone or the decorations aren't there or we're not going to sing some of your favorite songs again until December of next year, or maybe others, we get more depressed after Christmas when we step on the scale or we open the credit card bill and we go, whoa, how did that happen? How did that happen? I wasn't depressed, but now I am. <laughs> what in the world? In fact, Jesse and I are in our bathroom. We have a scale that I try to step on it every morning, and it, it works. I don't just step on it and get off, but I, I hit the little button, and it's got my stuff saved in there, and I've done pretty good over the last year. Um, getting on the scale every day. You know, what did you think I was going to say? <laughs> but anyway, because that little marker just kind of helps me know where I am and what's going on and try to keep things in check. It doesn't happen every day. But I try to get on the scale every morning and look at it at the same time just to be consistent. And in fact, then I get out my phone and I track my weight in there so I can kind of look at it and see, well, what have I done? How has the year gone? And what happens on the the scale is that it remembers what my last weight was, and it remembers where I started, and it will tell me what progress I have made or um, lost, <laughs> depending on the type of season that it is. But it remembers. And I can go back, and I can look on the scale, and it will let me know what happens. I can also go back, and I can look at my phone, and I can pull it up in a graph, and it will tell me which way things are going at different times of the year. Now, there's that tangible reminder that we all have when it comes to that. Now, we may can step on the scale, or maybe it's a pair of pants or a shirt or something we put on where we can say, hey, I'm glad we, we don't need to make any more cookies. That was one of my goals for this last, last week, and I accomplished it. Y'all will be so proud. I ate, I finished off all the Christmas cookies in the house. <laughs> there's not one left. 
and I hope there's no more because, man, those were all really good. But sometimes what I really, really need is I need a spiritual scale that I can just put on the floor in my bathroom, and in the morning when I can get up, I can go to it, and I can go stand on it, and it can tell me how I'm doing. I need that reminder. I need something that I can go to and that I can look at and that it can be consistent and I can go and I can get a check and I can get a reminder for me and for my day. Not only, yeah, you shouldn't have had that extra dessert last night or it is really time to start exercising again, but I mean, that's real easy to see. The numbers don't lie. Sometimes we lie about the numbers, but the numbers don't lie. What I really need is, is a spiritual scale that I can step on, that I can have a, a reminder that I can track and that I can see in a graph the, the progress that I'm making or the progress that I'm not making. Do you feel that way? That, that I just wish that I need, I need a spiritual, hey, hey, these pants don't fit anymore. Like, I, I need that. But you know what? I think, I think as I pay attention, Or if you're careful, what God will do is that he will give us just that. In fact, what Scripture tells us, it tells us that what we are to look like, the type of life that we are to have as believers, as people who believe that Jesus came, and our response to to Christmas is that we celebrate and that we are filled with great joy because Jesus has come for all men and all women and all people in all ages. But we want to celebrate. And how I live uh, should be directly related to who I live for. And in fact, Scripture goes on to tell us that if we're going to live life as believers, as Christians, as followers of Jesus, that we're going to be filled with the evidence that's there, the proof that is there. Not that I have to prove it to somebody else, but God tells us, and it's very clear all throughout Scripture, that there is evidence in my life, that God will cause that to grow and to produce when I'm following after Jesus. Apostle Paul goes so far to say in Galatians, he talks about the fruit of the Spirit. Jesus says over and over and over again, a good tree produces good fruit, a bad tree produces bad fruit. And a lot of times when Jesus talks about trees, if they don't produce the fruit that they were designed to produce, he says, chop them down and throw them in the fire. You will know what type of plant it is, what type of tree it is, what type of believer that you are becoming through the help of the Holy Spirit by the fruit, by the spiritual fruit that is produced in your life. That is why in Galatians, when Paul talks about the fruit of the Spirit, the fruit of the Spirit is that's what I need to pop up on my scale. That's what it is. Those are my benchmarks. Those are things how I can tell what I am doing, how I am doing in my faith. Those are the numbers. Now, I can't put an exact percentage or number on those. But the fruit of the Spirit is what? It's love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, thankfulness, and self-control. Now, when I see that those things are lacking in my life, what I can tell is that the numbers in my spiritual health are, is not where it should be. As I become more discontented, as I don't have peace, as I don't have thankfulness, as I don't have love, as I don't have joy, what I can tell for me is that happens an awful lot in my responses to other people. What I can see is how I respond to the stresses of life, the hard things when people don't do what I tell them to do, when I tell them to do it, how I want them to do it, when they do it wrong. You ever have people do stuff wrong, ask them to do something? You too? Okay, good. (laughs) Just do it how I would do it and life would be much easier. 
or worse in some cases. But when I find that I am lacking in those things, that's my reminder. That's me stepping on the spiritual checkup list and saying, Joel, you don't have any patience. What are you doing wrong? What are you not doing? What do you need to spend more time doing? Reading, praying, talking to, encouraging. What do you spend what do you need to spend more time with your thoughts thinking about? Not being discontented. I've been a little bit more discontented in in life lately, just in my head and in my heart. No big terrible bad things. Just kind of like sometimes you're like, man, I really wish I could. And we kind of go through those seasons. But what I find that that's a marker of, that's a marker of, I'm, I'm forgetting what is most important. And that God does give us reminders of things that we are, that what we are to do and what our health is going to look like. Uh, humorous Don Harold said, work is the greatest thing in the world, so we should always leave some for tomorrow. <laughs> that's good advice for a Sunday, isn't it? Or another one along the same lines, a man by Mike Key said, he said, I might wake up early and go running, but I also might win the lottery. The odds are about the same. (laughs) Or in his comic strip that bears his name, and I'm going to show it to you, BC consults Wiley's Dictionary, which happens throughout the comics. um, And he looks up in here, New Year's resolution. And according to Wiley's Dictionary, it tells BC that a New Year's resolution is a technique used for modifying one's behavior for the first two weeks each January. (laughs) It's not all that helpful if it's just short-lived. If it's just something for a little bit, and then we we go back to our our old way of living or our, our old behavior. But in fact, what Jesus calls us to have is to have a life that has changed and have a life that is markedly different from those that don't have Jesus in their life, that don't prioritize the church, that don't prioritize God. And my life as a believer should look different. My priorities should look different. Now, there's all things that believers and non-believers have to take care of and have to have responsibilities for. But ultimately, our primary things need to focus on what Jesus told us about. The reminder that Jeff gave us that in this world we will have trouble, but take heart. Jesus has overcome the world. We will have challenging times. We will have those seasons in life, whether it's the new year or where spring comes and everybody's allergies go crazy, but it's so pretty and all the flowers come back, but we have that and the animals running around and the birds chirping and we have that reminder of new life that is coming in and maybe in that season you want to change or do things better or get the house cleaned up or your finances better in order or under check or whatever it might be. We have those seasons in life. And I think especially, I mean, there's nothing magical about going to sleep or staying up till midnight and then, oh, it's a new year. We know that. It's just another day. There's nothing really big and huge, drastically different between Tuesday and Wednesday of this past week. But I think what we can tell is that when we make, when it comes to our, our faith, and that we want things to improve, we want things to get better, I want to have the evidence of the Holy Spirit in my life. I want to have that fruit producing and abounding, and God is the one that causes that to grow. God is the one that does that work. But God also is one who created us to work. He created us to do things for, on behalf of his kingdom, and he wants for us to follow after him. Got a couple passages of scripture that may not seem all related, but I'm going to make them related together this morning. 
But one more before I go to it. The first will be in Ecclesiastes chapter 3, right in the middle of our Bibles in the Old Testament, Psalms, Proverbs, Ecclesiastes. We read this at funerals a lot of times, but there's uh, the first couple of verses here, first eight or so I want to read. But before I do that, um, did you know that every year dictionary.com chooses a word of the year? They look back on the year and they choose a word that categorizes in one word what that word consisted of. For 2018, lots of different people and entities and different dictionaries do different things and choose different words. But what the dictionary.com chose misinformation as the word of the year for 2018. Jane Solomon is a linguist in residence at dictionary.com, and she said the rampant spread of misinformation is really providing new challenges for navigating life in 2018. Said looking back over the increased prevalence of misinformation in the year, she said our relationship with truth is something that came up again and again. Cultural confusion pales in comparison with misinformation about eternal truth. One will lead to societal chaos, but the other leads to spiritual death. Concerning misinformation about Christ, John MacArthur wisely wrote, he said, some say he was only a myth, but myths don't set the calendar for history. What we have to decide is ultimately what we believe about Jesus and then how we're going to act and how we're going to behave. Now, some passages of Scripture from the Old Testament, um, Ecclesiastes chapter 3, starting in verse 1. For everything there is a season and a time for every matter under heaven, a time to be born and a time to die, a time to plant and a time to pluck up what is planted, a time to kill and a time to heal, a time to break down and a time to build up, a time to weep and a time to laugh, a time to mourn and a time to dance, a time to cast away stones and a time to gather stones together, a time to embrace and a time to refrain from embracing, a time to seek and a time to lose, a time to keep and a time to cast away, a time to tear and a time to sow, a time to keep silence and a time to speak, a time to love and a time to hate, a time for war and a time for peace. Going back to verse 1, it says, for everything there is a season and a time for everything that is under heaven. In fact, the writer of Ecclesiastes goes on to tell us that there is nothing new that is under the sun. We like to think we are clever and we come up with new ideas or experience things or struggles that other people have not. Yet we are very much relatable to other people. We all share this condition as human beings that we deal with sin, that we deal with not wanting to obey our Father and do what he tells us is best for us and to care for us, and in that way, uh, we can relate to each other very, very well. Different times and different seasons for different things in life. I'm going to read from 1 Timothy chapter 4. I'm going to start in verse 6. 1 Timothy 4, 6, the Apostle Paul says this as he's writing closer to the end of his life uh, to his child in the faith, Timothy. 
says, if you put these things before the brothers, you will be a good servant of Christ Jesus, being trained in the words of the faith and of the good doctrine that you have followed. Have nothing to do with irreverent, silly myths. Rather, train yourselves for godliness. While bodily training is of some value, godliness is of value in every way, as it holds promise for the present life and also for the life to come. This saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance. For to this end we toil and strive, because we have had our hope set on the living God, who is the Savior of all people, especially those who believe. Command and teach these sayings. Let no one despise you for your youth, but set the example for believers, but set the believers an example in speech and conduct and love and faith and purity. Until I come, devote yourself to the public reading of Scripture, to exhortation, to teaching. Do not neglect the gift which you have, which was given to you by prophecy. When the council of elders laid their hands on you, practicing these things, immerse yourself in them so that you may see your progress. Keep a close watching yourself and the teaching. Persist in this, for by doing so, you will both save yourself and others. Paul, in writing to Timothy, he says, stick with it, keep working. Know the things that you have been taught and continue to grow in what you know. And it will not only be for your benefit, it will be for the benefit of those that are around you. Have you ever been around people that are just infectiously happy and that that joy kind of spreads to you sometimes? Now, sometimes you might want to just say, knock it off. I don't feel like it. But it can just spread and it can put a smile on your face. Have you ever been around people that are, that are obnoxiously unhappy all of the time? And how often does that mood rub off on you? You know, maybe you are one of those people that are immune to other people's moods rubbing off on you. I thought I was one of those people, but then um, I, I'm not. <laughs> Uh, I'm not going to let other people control how I move, what my mood is, or how I respond, or how I act, or how I. I'm better than that. I know better. I'm not. Well, the reality is, it just it affects us. In the same way as Paul's writing to Timothy, he's telling persist in this, persist in these things that you have been taught. For doing so, you will save yourself and other people that are influenced, that your influence in the kingdom as as a believer, as a part of the church will impact other people. And in being faithful to Scripture and what God has called for us to do, you can not only save yourself. Now, you hear me say that Jesus is the one who saves. But we can be saved through the blood of Jesus, and all other people can also come to be saved because they spent time around us. Because the evidence of the Holy Spirit at work in our life was clear. And that they could see it and that we could rub off on them, and that we could influence them. In fact, Paul, in this case, uh, talking to Timothy directly, he says, don't neglect the gift that you have, which was given to you by a prophecy when the council of elders laid their hands on you. We have this, that was a very specific event that happened in Timothy's life that Paul is reminding him of. Now, we also want to be always very careful not to imply a very specific, direct thing in someone's life that's always going to apply to everyone else. But what happens here is we have this principle, we have this reminder that Paul gave to Timothy. He says, don't forget this gift that God has instilled in you, how when the elders laid hands on you and prayed on you to send him off and to give him this blessing and to do this great work that God has done for him. And what we have is there's this practice we've adopted in church that sometimes the men or the leaders, the elders of the church, when a new leader comes, a new elder or deacon, we will lay on hands and we will pray for them, a very biblical thing that happens. Pray for their 
family, pray for their work, pray for the things that we're going to do. That's something that will happen in the life of our church family here in a couple weeks. We have Dave Lewis serving as a new deacon for us this year. We will have an ordination service where we lay hands on Dave and we pray for him and we pray for the work that he is going to do. Why? Because we see that evidenced in Scripture. In fact, in other places it talks about believers laying hands on one another and praying for one another. When the Bible tells us to do things, that's one of the things we do. Sometimes we, we want to ask, well, why? Well, because God showed us this way. And he told us to. And a lot of times that is going to be or should be a good enough answer for us. And, and going back to verse 15 of 1 Timothy 4, and Paul's talking to Timothy, he says, don't neglect the gift that you have, the things in which you've been taught. He says, practice these things. Immerse yourself in them. Why? so that you may see progress. It's encouraging when you see progress, isn't it? When you start putting away the Christmas decorations or getting the house cleaned up or working on the yard or teaching an animal not to do things animals are supposed to do, but we try to control the animals and get them not to do that. I gave up on my cats a long time ago. They're just cats. They're going to do whatever they want. Um, but we want to see progress, and it encourages us. Whether if it's we're going to try to eat a little bit healthier or not spend so much money in this area and cut back or save, it's encouraging for us to see progress. That's why getting on the scale is helpful, just to see what's happening and what's going on, not just what I think, but an actual reminder of that. And in the same way, looking for this evidence in our life about what God wants to do and this, the, the proof, the evidence in our life of how we're behaving and how how is my temper in responding to other people? And how is my heart and my mind and my thoughts, how are they filled with peace? How thankful am I? When we use those as the measuring stick and we realize that we are lacking, we can ask our Father who is good and, and lavishly gives the things that His children need to them. I can't help but believe and know with everything that I have that God who is a father who wants to give good gifts to his children, will give those to us. Uh, not most likely magically or supernaturally, but most of the time through work and through constantly coming back to God and to talking to him. One last passage of scripture comes from Colossians chapter 2, verses 6 and 7. And in fact, what I want to do in this year is repeat these verses a lot, maybe, not maybe, but to use these verses as the core for what we want to focus on as a church for this year. Colossians 2, verses 6 and 7. Therefore, as you have received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him, rooted and built up in him, and established in the faith, just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. Here, anyway, that very first word of verse 7 is what? Rooted. You can hear that word a lot. We want to be rooted in the church. We want to be rooted in relationships. We want to be rooted in the word. We want to be rooted in prayer. We want to be rooted to one another so that when these storms, when the difficult times in life hits, we have this foundation that is holding us up, and it is not ourselves, but it is our Father. And that's something we're going to talk about an awful, awful lot this year, being rooted. Therefore, as you receive Christ as the Lord, so walk in him. 
Paul says, live like it, rooted and built up in him, established in the faith, just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. May we be willing to give thanks. May we be willing to grow so that we can see the progress. May God show us that evidence so that we can be encouraged to grow and to become a stronger, better, brighter light in this world that needs it now just as much as it ever has. Will you pray with me? Father, thank you. Sometimes those two words are things, things that we just say and so often that we don't intentionally forget, but we don't even mean it. So God, we, we say thank you. God, thank you for this season in which we can celebrate. God, thank you for sending your son while we were your enemies so that we can be brought back to you. God, I pray that we root our faith in Jesus, that we grow and that we are established in him and in the faith and what we believe and what the Bible says in God, that through the power of your Holy Spirit living inside of us, we do your best in us to live it out this year. Father, may we focus on what is most important. And God, may we cast the other things aside. Father, we thank you for Jesus, and we thank you for our chance to come together to sing and to pray and to praise you. In Jesus' name I pray all of these things. Amen.